through mid arm for four. Jeffrey Bull. 100 hundreds. The place to get it here on his home ground at Covington. Got it! Got it! Well deserved. A magnificent delivery from Darren Goff. Must be very close to five. Got it! What a patch this is for Ryan Sidebottom. Could be a run out. Champions as Rich Parler takes the catch. Welcome back, I'm Richard Pyra and this is a Covers Off podcast. With me, I have the dead man, Steve Patterson. Pato, good to see you again, bud. Back in lockdown again. Absolutely, good to speak to you, mate. Obviously, been a while with having a bit of time off, but yeah, we just when we thought we things were going to get back to normal, we're back in lockdown, so it's going to be an interesting few weeks. It is, uh, and next week we have uh, our physical screening starting again, which starts another pre-season. What number is this for you now, Pato? Uh, I think it's 17 or 18, something like that, I'll lose count. I bet, uh, I bet our guests don't, don't uh, miss these pre-seasons and pre-seasons testing anymore, but anyway, let's, uh, let's introduce today's guest. This is someone who helped me massively when he came back to the club, and he tells me every time I see him anyway. 219 international games for England, taking 467 wickets. He's taken 1,486 wickets in total, and he's a bit of a Yorkshire legend and recently been made an MBE. It is Darren Goff. Goffy, welcome. Good to have you on. How are you doing, boys? Uh, nothing's changed there. Pat O's still as dilly, dilly, uh, <laughs> All right, gold as dishwater. How are you doing, Pat O? Good to see you, mate. Yeah, you, you got too, lad. How are you keeping? Yet? No, I've left. I think they retired it when you left, didn't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, they should have done. Just a bit <laughs> yeah, of a story well, there that um, when uh, when Goffy came back to the club from Essex, Pato had the number eight, which was obviously Goffy's number. Then Goffy just striped him and said, Pato, give me your number back. And you've never had it since, have you, Pato? No, I haven't. And uh, it, wasn't even, it wasn't really a discussion. He just he came and said me and saw me and said, thanks for my number. And I had no idea what he was on about, so... With the fact that he nicked number eight, I had to think, what can I do? So I went for one and seven. So I tried to copy you in some ways. I'll t- tell you what, boys, on that, I promise you, I never went back there and said, I've got to play number eight. I didn't have a clue. They just said, oh, you've got number eight. So basically, Pato, they were either going to sack you uh, and thought he won't need a shirt number or would just kick off of your shirt. So I never asked for it. But thanks very much for uh, volunteering it back anyway. Very nice. It's a pleasure, mate. I think you deserved it a lot more than I did, so I'm very happy with that. And we'll probably talk about a bit, a bit like this a bit later, Goffy, but it's probably you didn't even ask about the helicopters that came and picked you up from the ground as well. Did they just appear from nowhere? What, the helicopters? Um, yeah. No, that was that was part of the bargaining, lads. Um, All right. Yeah, um, we'd had huge success at Yorkshire. Uh, sorry, at Essex. Yorkshire were going through a bad trot. So, uh, the, so I got the sprinkle dust with my performances at Essex, three, three trophies in three years. And um, they tried to persuade me. I were very happy there. Uh, we were doing really well. It was a good side, very good one-day side, actually. Struggled a little bit in the longer form. But Colin Graves were just adamant that I was going to go back. And he didn't have to persuade me much, obviously, because Yorkshire is my love. Playing for the White Rose was... And the icing on the cake was... He actually, it was his idea. He said to me, do you know something? I know travel is going to be a bit of a nightmare. He said, don't worry about that. We've got everything in place. He said, we've got you this lovely house up in, um, I can't remember where it was. Um, it was in Wakefield. Yeah, Wakefield, Junction 36, I think it was, or something Durker, like that. I think. 38. He said, and it was a lovely house. 
And then they said, and 10 times a year, you, you can come in an helicopter. I said, what? Is he having a laugh? So I think I was the first cricketer to fly to game to game by helicopter, but it was hilarious, really. I couldn't believe it. It, it was. Us as young lads, it, we were on the field, I remember, about half past five, every every session, last session, an helicopter would fly over and go, hey, up, lads, my travel's here. <laughs> it was well, funny, wasn't it? Oh, it was God. funny. It, it was It was just a, an unreal moment, if I'm going to be honest about it. Um, I didn't quite get it. The second year, actually, um, I had a bad experience in it coming to one of the games. I don't know if you remember, it was really foggy. And I came in and it was in this gazelle, this helicopter, and it was flying really low over Nottingham where they got all those electrical wires. And it put me off. And I didn't use the last six flights, actually. It put me off flying in an helicopter. I've not been in one since. It was an absolute disaster trip. Uh, and I got all the <laughs> way to Edinburgh and they called it off hot day. There was no play. So I thought, what nightmare have I day. just done? Yeah, nightmare day. But... Um, yeah, it was great. And it was great, but your, your current coach, Gailey, was my chauffeur for two years. He used to pick me up every morning down at the training ground, didn't me, and drive me up to the ground with a cup of, yeah. a cup of coffee. So it was great at Gailey. Is that why you gave him his it. first team cap? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I gave a lot of people the caps, actually, to be fair. Uh, I believe once you're a part of the side and once you you play for me, that's when you should get your cap. All this rubbish about having to play two, three, four years to get it. Once you're part of the squad and you're you're part every single game, whether you're playing or in, you're in that squad. For me, you deserve the cap. And I know it's a, a strong tradition Yorkshire have always had, but I think they went over the top sometimes on presenting players who have given their all for the county for many years. But it was one thing I enjoyed doing is uh, giving people their county cap. So, um, and debuts. I think I give quite a few debuts out um, along the way as well. So that was pleasing. Yeah, definitely. Right, Godfrey, let's let's take it back to the beginning then. I remember uh, reading about it that you, you didn't, even make Yorkshire under 15s team. You were in the B team and yep. then ended up on the academy. Uh, I don't think it was called academy then, but you were one of the first intakes on that system. And uh, Wayne Morton tells a tells a story about uh, Phil Carrick. Are you going to to training with the senior players? And Phil Carrick asking you to take he wash his washing down and put it in the washing machine. And he replied, "I'm here to learn cricket, not to do your washing." And Wayne Morton talks about that being a you know. A, a big, a big part of the academy now, and how how young people have got a voice, and uh, you know things have changed since then. So just give us a bit of you know your memories from back then. Yeah, it was like that. I'll get onto that in a minute, but I think where it started. I was always a talented sportsman from being young, whether it be rugby, whether it be football, which was my preferred sport, or whether it be cricket. And if you speak to most people who knew me from being a very, very young kid, say eight years old, I was playing for under-11s, Barnsley at football. They'd have all said, he's 100% going to make it as a footballer. I was way above anybody else at that age, end 11, 12, 13. When it got to 14, that's when my football, everybody caught me up. And it was a bit of a battle from 14 and 15. I was at Blue Forms. They used to call them back then uh, at the football club. And I started to worry whether I was going to make it as a footballer. So cricket was something I was late into getting into seriously. It was about 14, 15. But I was opening the batting and opening the bowling back then, believe it or not. <laughs> but I went for trials, Yorkshire schools. And I'll be honest, I've wrote about this in my book. I, I felt, felt a little bit out of it. I didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel as I was welcome to be there, turned up in back, back of a rentical van back then. Uh, my dad was a pest control rat catcher, son of a Barnsley rat catcher, the headline news when I made my debut, but it was all private school. And I remember 14s, I got in and played a couple of games. 15s, I couldn't get in the main side. And I'll never forget, the captain was a guy called Rob Laster. He went to Quegg's. He batted at eight, 
right? And he didn't bowl. Now, you work that out. This is Yorkshire School, was under 15, and the captain batted at eight and didn't bowl. I mean, that just summed it up for me, where it was run by school teachers, it mattered where you went, and I felt a bit of an outcast. At 16, it became an association run by the county. Steve Oldham saw me in the nets and grabbed hold of me and said, this kid, where's he been the last few years? He said, oh, yeah, he's not quite good enough and I don't think he's going to make it. Uh, he said, you what? He said, he swings it out, decent pace, strong lad. He said, he's here. Get him in that side. And then under 16s, I were opening bowling for 16s and 19s. Uh, but at the time, the amazing thing is, I was a footballer at that time. I was trialling, well, I was a YTS at Rotherham United. So I packed that in, came to the cricket and rest is history, mate. It, it happened pretty quickly. I played for the under 19s and got eight... Eight for 13. I only played one game. And then Yorkshire signed me up as, I said, that intake onto the academy, it was called back then. Um, And I was only on that probably a few months and then I became a pro. So it was pretty quick the way it happened uh, at Yorkshire. And Steve Oldham, really, is the guy who saw that potential. Without him, I'd have still been probably... It might have took me a bit longer. I might have had to go to another county to try and make it. Yeah. So just talk us through that uh, that era with the academy, Goffey. Obviously, you've come back, seen our academy, how it works and how, how much of an impact they have and on the senior squad. When you first started, the senior players treat the younger players a little bit different, didn't they? You had to earn your right. And you were, you were a big part of changing that. Yeah, wasn't great. I mean, like I say, I come from a... a saying that, uh, though, Rich, you know, I think sport in general like that. I remember yeah. at Rotherham United, I've got some horrendous stories when I was there uh, as a young kid. Jobs you had to do, cleaning the stands, uh, picking up underwear from players, putting it on. They were doing things behind your back, always pulling jokes, um, taking the mickey out of you. Basically, slave labour. And it was a little bit like that at cricket. But I think there was a divide between private school, even at Yorkshire and and someone who came from where I came from, uh, just a pit village in Barnsley, um, quite a tough school. And when I got involved, I did feel as though they thought I was just a bit of a runaround and I put a stop to that pretty quickly. You know what I'm like. I'm quite an aggressive character. Um, If someone upsets me and goes too far, I'll tell them first if they don't listen. They'll take the consequences. And it was actually Ashley Metcalf who said to me, oh, I know what, it was Phil Caddick, actually. Phil Caddick, Ashley Metcalf was another story, very similar when he asked me to get his dinner and I told him where to go. But first, yeah, <laughs> Phil, Phil Caddick came down and basically said, give me a bag of laundry. He said, here, go up in Chedernley and take laundry and do this laundry for me. I went, I looked at him and I think he was captain at the time. I said, not a chance, mate. I said, I'm here to learn cricket, mate, not to do laundry. I said, I'm going in the nets. And he looked at me and he, I think he was going to say something and then he probably thought, actually, he's probably right. Um, and he went away. And I always believed that. And I don't know if you go back to the way I used to captain. I hated people who used to get 12th men to go get their lunch. Yeah. I think I probably only did it I reckon I only probably asked for that, and I mean this, twice in my whole career. Twice. And that's when I was struggling uh, with a, an injury at lunchtime. I used to hate it when they used to, couldn't even go down to the dinner hall and go get go get lunch or all like that. I would never need to get doing stuff like that. I'm all for helping out, but when it's a five-minute walk to go get a dinner tray and you can go to front of queue and go get your pasta and, and chicken, I mean, it's not hard, is it? I mean, you don't yeah. need someone to go get you it. Um, so. Yeah. I've never changed my values in that. I've, I've always believed the boys are there to play cricket. We're all there to help each other out, but I'm not into going running around getting laundry done and, and getting people's dinner ready. Yeah, and that's a good, it's a good point you mentioned, Goffy, because I, I was speaking to Rich before we came on, and I said something very similar, that obviously now I've, 
I, kind of I've taken over as captain the last couple of years and everything about how I try to do it is learning from the guys I've played under in the past and that's probably one of my biggest memories of you is that you you always stood up for the lads anybody who didn't have a voice you would stand up on their behalf and you wouldn't let anybody push them over or take the mickey out of them and I think that was probably one of the the biggest influences on me I guess in, in terms of what I do is that when you're in a position of kind of authority that you were as captain and you were later on in your career that you didn't have you always said it you said I don't care I've got nothing to lose and you would always stand up for those who didn't have a voice mm. and I think I think that's a, a really not only just an important thing to do but I think it's a responsibility when you're a senior player is to look after those young lads and nurture them probably in the way you did there's lots of good ways to be a captain Pato isn't there and and people talk sometimes about you've got to have huge intelligence and only batsmen can be captains and they only can do this they only can do that there's lots of ways uh, ways to captain a side and um, I played under some unbelievable captains and some absolute shockers but they all were different and they were good in different areas Mike Atherton I sometimes thought was away with the fairies he was wasn't my type of a leader, but he was very bright, very intelligent, worked the game out inside his own head. He sometimes got lost in his own feelings with it, but he didn't inspire me um, as a captain. Then we got to Alex Stewart, who we all know is from the front. He's up and at him, very passionate, three lions on his shirt and all that. And he was pretty good, but probably tactically, believe it or not, he probably lacked a little bit. And I only say he lacked a little bit because who followed him was Nasser Hussain. And Nasser Hussain had, I mean, the way he did it was an aggressive type of captaincy, um, which probably influenced me a little bit. Support his lads, run through a brick wall for his lads, make them feel good about themselves, give them responsibility. But tactically, he was absolutely out of this world, mate. And there's not one person touched him throughout my whole career who could captain like Nas. But it was great for me, that aggressive yeah. nature. But it was shocking for some others. It wasn't great for Flintoff. It wasn't great for Harmison, who needed an arm around him um, and stuff like that. So I tried to peel off from them. And if you know me as a person, like I say, I can be harsh. I can be straight to it if I don't think someone's pulling the weight. But if I need to be empathic, which I was, and you boys won't even know a couple of stories from back at Yorkshire, I covered things up for players and helped them through it. And the physio... Um, was on side with me and he helped me out and we kept it secret because we needed this player to be right mentally and physically for later on in the season and it worked he came back strong yeah I think looking back at that time you know we, we joke about you know starting our, my career and, and Pato's career in Gailey's but you came to the club when the young lads weren't getting opportunity and the first thing oh. that you did was chuck the young lads in we were a bit inconsistent then for those couple of years but five years on that group of players went on and won the championship back to back so playing the young players then you know give them the, the opportunity that they yeah. needed and, and created the team that won the championship in 14 and 15 those were the players that were getting opportunities then so it's one thing that I look back on is the, the faith that you had of, of young lads and chucking them in and, and, and not you know not bothered if they if they fail or, or succeed that you, you, you know you'll stick with them and, and they'll develop I was develop. bothered Rich I was bothered well, really you, you... <laughs> I, I was trust me I was uh, but I had faith in a lot of the youngsters where I kept getting people in my ear telling me not good enough not good enough not good enough yeah. I used to get that all the time it used to really bug me. But I'm my own man. I make my own decisions, you know. When I was up there, I had total control. I I, I would listen. And if it was negative and I didn't think it was the right way, the direction I wanted to go in, I'd just bin it and I'd do what I want. And I did. I, I wanted to give players an opportunity. I didn't just give an opportunity for the sake of it, by the way. I give players an opportunity because I thought they could do a very good job for me in that position. And if you remember... 
some of the things I did. And they won't probably even realise at the time. I batted Brezzi at six. When you think about it, I put Brezzi at six. I put Rash at seven. Mm. These were guys. I, I just gave them total faith. And people said, oh, no, they're all batting probably two spots too high. Rash should have been nine and Brezzi should have been eight. I put Brezzi at six. And he never yeah. let me down with a bat. Never let me down. I opened the ball in the first year, realised that I probably uh, weren't as effective as someone like Brez in the second year. And I gave the I opened I gave it to Brez. I gave Brez the new ball instead of myself. I hated doing that because I've I'm, I've got personal pride. And although I was still a decent bowler, I didn't have I wasn't the same bowler I was obviously a few years earlier. I was getting on a little bit, and I had to manage my body and I had to manage when I bowled. And obviously, you guys will joke about it, but I always go into ball. I bowl with new ball and then bowl with old ball. <laughs> But, well, uh, yeah, but, definitely. But actually, but actually, the second my second year, I didn't take the new ball. I didn't take the new ball. So I used to ball when the come on when it was 10, 12 overs old. So and I still got wickets. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I Goffey, I remember uh, when he came back to the club. When he, yeah, I think it might be in the first one day game or T Twenty game. I can't remember. But you chucked to your young lads, and so we're all there in the team huddle, waiting for the team chat. So. You know, Goffey's played for England, a bit of a legend. All right, right, we're all waiting for this team chat. He came in and he just went, right, lads, cash is king. If we don't win, we don't get cash. Let's go win. And we were like, right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never I'll never forget that team talk. It was brilliant. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, stuff like that, it's just something that can spark something. And for me, money was obviously, a, it's a, people who say money's not a motivator are absolutely full of crap. They really, really are. It shouldn't be the main aim, but money should motivate. And sometimes, if you know you're going to get a win ball, if you put in a performance, do you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. that can be the, the, the little spark. And we played at that time. I, I remember t- uh, 2020 cricket, when we started playing that originally, I was like, what is this thing? I, mean, I remember doing warm-up games and thinking, what is this all about? We didn't quite get it, did we? No. But it's turned out, it's turned out to be an absolute belter. I, I absolutely love playing it. I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, even though I was getting on, uh, to have played T20, really, really enjoyed it. And and I think it's just about getting players in a relaxed state at that time. I think now I'd probably go about it uh, differently, qualified coach now and all that stuff, and I'd probably go about it a little bit differently. But as a captain, I didn't want people, players, to think too much and, and, and believe a big speech at the beginning of a game is going to influence the performance of players. Sometimes keep it simple, go out, let them express themselves. And I believed in every player I picked. I want to pick them otherwise. Just before we move on then, Goffey, just one of my other memories of, of you as captain, we played, I think it might have been a semi-final down at Essex, one of your old teams, and we were chasing. And, uh, you know, you kept talking about not taking it deep because they used Danish Canary at the death, quite hard to score. Anyway, we were we were cruising the game we took it deep and we ended up losing and you went absolutely ballistic after the game talking to the shouting at the batters going what do I know what do I know I've only played 159 one day internationals I know nothing and he just walked out <laughs> well I didn't just walk out mate I kicked everything that was in my sight yeah well he did I it was brilliant everything in my sight but I was right I was absolutely spot on I played at Essex remember for three years I'd seen how we played we won trophy after trophy one day cricket I knew the tactics inside out I remember I remember telling Mags and Gailey in yeah. a meeting, do not think you're in the game by staying in and staying in and staying in because they're going to bring Danish on, they're going to bring on Tender Scarter and you're going to find it hard to score. And they were like, taking it deep. And I could see it happening in front of me. And, I yeah. was trying to get, and they were like, yeah, we've got this covered and we ended up losing with loads of wickets in hand. I was absolutely spewing. And it was never going <laughs> to... 
that was one more. I was so desperate to win that game. So desperate. And I was just so disappointed. And you know my feelings. I've said this to lots of captains. I remember having these chats with Blake. Blake's always used to say when we played back in that time where we wasn't great, we had some good players, but we didn't get that consistency. And I think one of the reasons is we had a lot of people in that team when I first started, Rich. And that's why I tried to bring a different brand when I came as captain. Yeah. I had a lot of players who I played with that were always staying the game, staying the game, staying the game, mm. kicking around at three safe, and four and over. Safe and then safe way, and then you might win a percentage. But you lose so many big games doing that because you're mm. the only team that's doing it. It's old-fashioned, boring, crap cricket. So I tried to bring a freedom to people and say, listen, it doesn't matter who's bowling. Play the game. Just play yeah. the way and express yourself. If you win with 25 overs to go, you've won. If you lose with 25 overs to go, you've lost. It's simple. It's, we make it so complicated at, at, at that period when I first started. And it's great to see. And I think it still goes on a little bit at Yorkshire. When I watch the guys play, some of the decisions, I know one of the uh, dads of one of the captains in the T20 had a go at me because I gave him an honest opinion about you play two spinners in a one-day game and then bowl first, which or three mm. spinners in a one-day game and bowl first. I, I, I thought, what is going on here? And that's from the outside. I didn't see the pitch. But if you're going to play three spinners, uh, what are you bowling first for? You know what I mean? And then I, yeah. a, I wrote an article criticising the decision, not criticising him as a captain, but his dad thought he, um, he knew more than me and, and had a go at me. But fair enough, it's his opinion. I didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, and sure. I think that's what... <laughs> That's what was so refreshing when you came back as captain is that obviously you were a big personality, you were a huge person in the game of cricket and you weren't afraid to, I suppose not shake things up a little bit, but maybe just go away from the traditional Yorkshire old-fashioned methods and kind of have your own opinion and say, look, if I'm going to put my name to this team, we're going to do it the way I want to do it. And Ooh. although, like you say, we maybe didn't have huge amount of success for that time because we had younger players, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes when Gailey took over as captain, when I took over as captain. It opened a lot of eyes to maybe there's more than one way to skin the cat, really. And I think mm. the influence you had has, has lasted a long, lot longer than probably you realise. Mm. Well, I, I hope it has because listen, I'm I'm, I'm not obviously um, I made some mistakes where, where I was up there as captain, and um, I didn't have the experience of doing it. I'd done it a few times um, at, at Essex um, and, and had success with it, but. I've always had a, a way I want to play. It was quite obvious the way I played as a cricketer, but it's go for gold, nothing for silver. Um, when I bowl, I want to get wickets. When I bat, I want to hit sixes and fours. And, and it's a brand of cricket I love. I think it's a brand of cricket now, which we all can see is working around the world. And I'd love to have been playing in this era. Starting my career now, playing the brand of cricket that's been played around the world, I would, I would have been in my element. I actually yeah. believe I would have been better I, I honestly do believe that. Not so much better with the ball, but I think as a batsman, the way I started my career, the way I used to bat, uh, with no fear whatsoever, I think I'd have been able to carry on that way. I just got, I literally got tried to be made into a batsman, an all-rounder, and I never was going to be an all-rounder. I was always going to be a bowler who likes to bat, can hit the ball, can do a decent job. But they tried to turn me into an all-rounder and it totally messed up my batting for a few years. You probably saw when I got but went back to Essex, when I went left and went to Essex, I actually started to get it back. I got mm. runs, started getting runs again. I was used as a, a pinch hitter at Essex in those three years where we had success. Played a good couple of good knocks when I came back to Yorkshire. And I was starting to play the way I should have played my whole career again. I just went through a middle 10-year period where I couldn't get a run because <laughs> yeah. I was trying to back cross-lead, back cross-lead, getting out LBW. So I think if I played in this era now and played under a coach or a captain who believed in the players and give them that freedom, I think it would have been a lot better. 
Yeah, Goffey, we spoke quite a lot about your time at Yorkshire. Uh, and I just want to just go back to your England stuff now and your international career. Obviously, you burst on the scene as a youngish lad. Uh, you finished your career as England's second all-time leading wicket-taker in white ball cricket, 229 test wickets. But you obviously struggled a lot with injuries as well. You were very unfortunate. Mm. I think not only were you a fantastic player for England, but possibly you were, you were robbed of even more success because of those injuries. How do you look back on your time playing for England and, and what are your thoughts on it now? Yeah, I think when I look back, I'm, I'm immensely proud of uh, my career as a whole. But same thing, like most things in life, I'm a perfectionist and I'm frustrated. When I look back and I, I look at it and I look at my strike rate for England, which is up there with the very, very best, it was obviously frustrating, but injury played a big part in my career. And it took me a while. I was a late developer, I would say. Let's be honest about it, getting into the England side. Then I had an injury early on after about five, six tests after my first series. That took me another year to get back uh, to my best. But I would say from 1997 through to 2001, I was as, oh, I just felt invincible during that period, whether it was playing for Yorkshire and getting runs, I think I had a century in that time, uh, whether it was playing for England and getting wickets, it was just happening. Every time I played, I was taking wickets, taking wickets, taking wickets, and series, player of the series here, man of the match there. And I just thought, oh, I'm invincible. And then out of the blue, when I just got player of the series, I think it happened three series in a row. We went to New Zealand, didn't we, for a one-day at all. I wasn't playing the test because I took that winter off and I tore my cartilage in the fifth one day at a national in Dunedin. I did it in the eighth over and I finished my 10 overs. I got two more wickets after I'd done it. But the next morning, I'll never forget, I've never had pain like it in my leg. I couldn't get out of bed. I remember Dean Conway having to come and get me and literally I should have had my operation there in New Zealand. They strapped me up and flew me home. I had my first of, what is it, six operations in, in two years. It was a very frustrating time for me, very hard to get fit. I was didn't know whether I was coming or going. The medical skills, not the physios were great, but they were torn between county and, and England. And now where they are looked after 100% if they get an injury and they're rehabbed properly, I was just left to my own devices a lot of the time to try and get fit again. And I were having operation after operation after operation and then tried to come back for two test matches in 2003, which was the biggest mistake I made. That I, I remember I'd come back. I'd only just got back into the England team that series, summer. They picked me because I'd done well for Yorkshire at the end of the season, or the start of the season. And they picked me for these one-day games against South Africa. Um, and in the final, um, I'd not played in the test matches against Zimbabwe that summer. They played Ogard, I think, Johnson, Anderson. They'd all played against Zimbabwe and filled the boots. But they all got injured. They all got injured. And so the first test was coming up against South Africa in 2003. And of course, I bowled well in the final, um, getting Callis and Gibbs. Duncan Fletcher, I'll never forget it, said, I know it's earlier than originally planned because I, were, I was supposed to have two or three weeks off uh, to rehab again. They said, can you play in the first test at Edgbaston? It's going to do a little bit. I know it's been an hard workload with your knee and things because I was going off to Germany one night every two minutes to try and get treatment. He says, but we'd like you to play in this test match. So I played in the test and Graham Smith got 200 and God knows how many. I mean, it, it, see, it seemed a little bit, didn't it, for about 20 minutes and then it was the flattest, slowest wicket I've ever played on. Yeah. And then, and then like an idiot, like an idiot, Ogard wasn't fit still. Um, Johnson still wasn't fit and he played me at Lords. He asked me to play one more test match at Lords. He said, that's definitely, and I got a great record there. He said, look at your record at Lords, playing for England, loads of 4 record amount. 
you've got to play. And it was not like it had been in the last few years. Uh, it was flat. And Graham Smith got 250 again. And I walked off the field, walked off the field, and I said to Nasser, true words, um, and I can remember him clear as a bell, never forget it. He said, oh, no, it was, um, yeah, Vaughan was captain. Vaughan yeah. was captain. Um, Nasser resigned after the Edgbaston game. Vaughan was captain, his first test at Lords. So he asked me to play. That was it. And then, but I came off the field, end of that game, and I said to Nasser, the same, tell Sidney, mate, that's it for me. I'm done. And I made my decision on the field, but I was never playing again for England. I literally wasn't going to play. Uh, I didn't I didn't tell any of the players. I rang David Graveney on my way home and just said, I'm not up for selection. That's it. I'm done. Not not in the future. I'm finished. Test cricket. I can't perform the way I want to perform and the way I've done in the 56 test matches before these two. I said, I can't, I can't play test cricket anymore. But when I look back, I should have said no to playing at Edgbaston. I should have got fitter and stronger and give myself half a chance. I give myself no chance by by just being so passionate and desperate to play for England again after two years. But yeah. I played in that game. Yeah, frustrating. Absolutely. And, and as a proud man, you'd never say no to being asked to do a job for the team or whatever. But I think I always I look at you now and I think if you'd have had probably the management that Abroad and Anderson do now in terms of your workloads and if there had been the development of T20 cricket like it is now, the IPL and stuff like that, with the, the skill set you had, if you'd have played now, you'd have, well, you'll, all, you'll always go down as one of the greatest ever bowlers, but your record Cash would have been absolutely... Cash's king battle. Cash's king. It would have been even richer, man. <laughs> I'd have been like Kevin Peterson and Flintoff. <laughs> but, but I think when it comes down to, you know, I'm a big believer, central contracts, you know, uh, Pato and Rich. I was one of the first centrally contracted players. And I joke about it now, but it used to frustrate the hell out of Yorkshire members, didn't it? But I was yeah. told told when I could play for, for Yorkshire. I used to get the blame. And they used to call me OBE, didn't they? Only balls for England. So, <laughs> so they used to... And that's one of the reasons I left, you know. There was other reasons as well, but that's one of the small reasons uh, I left. The frustration, but the members didn't understand, but I was centrally contracted. And it wasn't me that didn't want to play. It was just I got told I couldn't play or I had yeah. to rest. And the members just didn't understand because it was something new. It's a bit like the 100 that's coming out next year. They don't understand it because it's new. They don't like change. But I led that way for so many players that followed and made it easier. I made it so easy, didn't I, for Borney and for Hoggard and yeah. for Sidebottom. Yeah, absolutely. And all them guys, because I got all the stick and I got all the abuse. And those guys had a cakewalk compared to what I had to go through from the members uh, at that period of time. And that's one of the reasons I did leave. Uh, but you've got to admit, central contracts for England, um, I only got one year of it, by the way, two years of it, because I was injured for all those two years as well. Uh, but you've got to say what a success that's been, because if you look at Broad and Anderson and Cook, those three guys... It's now not about... Obviously, ability plays a huge part, and it always will, but look at the great cricketers that have played for England over the years, and I mean great cricketers. Even Flintoff only played 70 tests. Yeah. His record, I reckon, would have got better and better. We look at his record now when we criticise it because he averaged over 30 with a ball and just over 30 with a bat. He should have probably averaged mid-30s with a bat and 25, 26 with a ball when you look at him now. But if he would have been able to play, I reckon, fitness-wise, another three years he would have averaged under 30 with a ball. Because Anderson, up to playing 100 tests, averaged over 30. Did you know that? He averaged over 30, up to 100 tests. And now he's averaging 27. He's got better 
as he's got older. Broad got better as he's got older. And can you imagine someone like Fred would have been averaging 26, 27, even in Amerson. They were great yeah. bowlers. Uh, but obviously the workload from playing county cricket and test cricket took it out of them. But the ones who benefited, it's, it shows how great it's been as Cook, Broad and Anderson. It's been great for English cricket, but we've had central contracts. Obviously, obviously you were you're a massive personality when you were a player. You have been since you finished cricket. You've done a number of things within the media. You've been a successful presenter on TalkSport for over a decade now. You were a champion at Strictly Come Dancing and the Christmas special, if I believe. I watched and it correctly. Champion, and yeah. champion of champions. Miss Absolutely. Cash is king. Cash is king. We won't talk about your time on the jump on Channel 4 because... I've no. seen all those uh, those injuries to your knees in cricket, and I think it showed the way you tried to ski. Because uh, I've skied myself, and and yeah, let's let's not talk about that for your benefit. But uh, your life after cricket, not only were you very successful as a cricketer, but your life after cricket, you've had a, a huge amount of success. Uh, is there anything else you want to achieve that you feel you haven't, or do you look back and you feel you've ticked every box? I think I've I've always wanted to achieve, you know, Pat. Or I'm always looking around the corner at what what can come next. I miss cricket massively. I miss it absolutely like you wouldn't believe. I didn't for a long time, but just getting back in, helping England out last year, I could probably be helping them out this winter at some point um, if the timings work with myself and, and with work, because I'll be commentating on the India series. Um, I'm giving the South Africa one a miss, but we'll have to wait and see. So I miss cricket massively. So there's something within cricket I know is around the corner at some point, uh, which I might be persuaded to take on board. I'm passionate about conservation um, work, me and my wife, Anna, and doing our best to raise as much money as we possibly can for a charity called Care for Wild. Uh, we brought our, our own wine last year, totally to benefit the charity, which has already got three silvers and two bronze, uh, which I, was, I couldn't believe. So that is a massive thing. Getting an MBE um, was huge. I think most people actually thought I already had one, which I think <laughs> that's been the surprise. They did. You would not believe the amount of people who thought I already had it, whether it's the joke about the OBE, Holy Bowls for England, and all that stuff. And But most people actually thought um, I had it, but immensely proud. But me and the wife have raised over a million quid now um, with our events. And, um, and hopefully this wine, once we can get it into supermarkets, we can make some serious money to help, help the orphanage, uh, which would be fantastic. It's here, by the way. I've got it here. A bit strong for you. There's the red. That's um, Odin. That's um, He's one of a, the black rhino. He's quite, like I said, there's not many of them left, uh, boys, uh, throughout the world. We're talking real small numbers. That's a Shiraz. Um, we've got the other top of the range, which is the Chenon Blanc, all from uh, South Africa. Uh, that's the top of the tree as well. And then we've got the Rosé, which might be more Pato's drink. Hey, um, come on. <laughs> that's Arthur. That's Arthur, uh, the white rhino. He's the showpiece uh, rhino. And then there's one of the reds as well with Arthur on. So, yeah, we've got seven different bottles. I've drank the rest. Also, I'd show you the others. But um, <laughs> we have seven different ranges um, and have gone down an absolute storm. So, really pleased with that. But, yeah, cricket, cricket will be calling at some point. I still think I've got plenty of life in me yet. I'm 50 now, but I miss cricket and I'm... At some point, I will be tempted to get back into it. Don't know when, don't know how, but I will be. Cash is king. Get him involved. <laughs> yeah, to be <laughs> fair, <laughs> no, I think when it comes down to the cash bit, uh, Rich, I think you'll know as a coach, you're going to do the coaching. It's not to be a rich man. It's You've got to be passionate about it. And probably a lot of us, that's why we actually went away from the game. 
Yeah. Well, I went away for the game because I had enough of being in that bubble of being a cricketer. And it's done me the world of good. I've grown up a lot since I left, you know, and I've learned a lot of different skills working for myself, um, self-employed and working at TalkSport especially. It's given me a load of life lessons and, and, and how to be more empathic with people moving forward because you can be locked inside your own head. Uh, but yeah. I think working within a different kind of employment has done me the world of good and I've learned lots of different uh, new skills. So, um, yeah, I think as I go down it, it won't be obviously about money because if you're going down a coaching route straight from playing, you're doing it because you love it and you want to be involved in cricket. You're not doing it to be a very, very rich man unless you get one of the dream gigs and coach the Mumbai Indians or the <laughs> Calcutta Knight Riders or Shedai Super Kings. That's where you make the big bucks, boys. It is. And, you know, you've got, you have the passion for coaching office, so I'm sure that you will be a successful coach at some point, but people, people don't see the hours that you put in as a coach, you know, the hours that I put in with the mm. academy and the pathways, you know, they see me at the odd first team game and they think, oh, it's, it's a cruisy life, but the hours that we put in in the winter is, is you know, it's, yeah. hard, it's the hard yards, so. But it'd be great. It'd be, it would be. It'd be great to see you back in cricket at some point. Some point, Goffy. And even if you could come to a couple of our games and just be around for a couple of days, it'd be. It'd be good to. Good to have you around. Do you know some what it comes down to? Though I, I'd love to do something like that, Rich. But I always feel because I am the personality I am, mm. and because I've got so much energy um, when I'm around people, I almost don't want to interfere. And I always feel as though because I kind of take it, I don't take over the old place. But when I enter. It's almost like I feel as though, because I've got a strong personality, I yeah. don't want to feel as though I'm treading on anyone's shoes. And that's just the way I am. And, and that's it's all a bit of an act, because actually, I'm, believe it or not, I'm actually quite reserved and quite shy in normal life. What cricket brings me, and what broadcasting brings me, is me able to, to entertain and be yeah. something I'm actually not. Um, because if, if I go out with my family, and my kids are quite quiet, both of them, mm. quite reserved, very, very quiet, and that's what I'm like. I would say my probably my missus is probably a bigger personality than I am. Um, and when we go out as, with friends, she's the one who's the entertainer. I'm a little bit more standoffish. So that's mm. what I'm normally like in real life. But you put me in an environment with loads of blokes and for some reason, something switches on and I yeah. turn into this kind of bubbly personality. And I feel as though I don't want to tread on anybody's toes when I come into a, an environment which is not mine. Now, if I was running it and I was in charge, I'd feel comfortable putting people in place who could do the job. And I'd like to step in now and again and just, uh, do you know what I mean? That That's the yeah. more roles I would say I'm probably looking at now. Coaching, I totally get the hours you have to put in. And it is it has to be something you have to really love up to the sky and back because I've seen the hours put in by Silvers with England, Collingwood, who puts in a lot of work, um, Graham Thorpe. These guys put in some serious, serious hours. And I, I had a small snippet of it in New Zealand and I was like, wow. After yeah. day one, Rich, you'd have loved this because I've not done throwdowns for years, right? And I thought, I don't agree with throwdowns, right? So I ended up bowling. I must have bowled 25 overs off a short <laughs> run. It's all the England batsmen, Rooty and all them boys. Yeah. I, couldn't walk for, I couldn't walk for three days. I, I literally, <laughs> I was on the physio bench, tablets. And then on that same first day in New Zealand, I was throwing. So I did some throwing at, uh, for slip catchers. So yeah. Joe was snipping them. Oh, my God. My shoulder felt as though it was like that. And then I can't use one. I can't use one of them dog throwers, whatever they are. How do you use them? I nearly killed the batsman with them. So, um, but listen, I, I totally get the, the work 
the, the coach has put in and they're totally committed to it. Um, and it's great when you see the boys perform. And it must be rewarding as a coach when you see the players perform. It's totally different to when you're playing, but it must be yeah. so rewarding when your team steps out and, and performs, knowing the hours you've put in personally. You don't get the credit you probably deserve. Yeah, but you, you don't feel that personal pride, you, yeah. You don't do this jo- the job that I'm doing. You don't do it for credit. I mean, the, the, the thing that stands out for me most is, you know, I've been retired five years now and I've been working with the bowlers at the club for five years. He's seeing the likes of Ben Code come through. And I've been working with him from, from a young age and to see them develop from, not just as a cricket, but as a person as well, from, you know, 17-year-old to playing first team and being our leading bowler now. That's, that's what I do the job for. And, you know, I'm working with players now at 15, 16-year-old and hopefully I'll do the same, see the same with them, develop and be, you know, first team bowlers and, and hopefully go on to play for England. So you, yeah, that's the reason why you do the job. Mm. I think that's the one, an important thing, I think, uh, for you guys moving forward, and I'm sure you do it anyways, but my biggest thing with Yorkshire over the years has been, I want it to be a club that's respected around the world, and people tell great stories about their time there. Mm. And I don't think enough of us have got great memories from the way we've probably been treated as players over the years at certain periods. Now, there is no questioning the time we've had as individuals around our teammates, I could tell story after story about my teammates and the fun times I've had playing at Yorkshire, some of the best times of my life. But sometimes outside politics of our club has probably left a lot of people not feeling the way they should feel about going back. And I do believe we're going down the right direction. I'd, I'd like to think now we're teaching our youngsters and you've said you've seen Coed there grow as a, a human being yeah. and and hopefully these guys will have nothing but good words to say about Yorkshire. Because at some point, you've got to remember this, boys. At some point, every player, every coach is going to leave that club. And it's the greatest club in the world, in my eyes, in your eyes. And Powell's, yeah. we're all Yorkshire fans. But you want them to carry on talking about Yorkshire being the best club in the world when they're not there. And the way you do that is from a very young age, teaching them respect and letting them respect the badges. And that's why one of the things I came back, do you remember the, what I used to do about, I used to, every young player that came into the team, I used to ask him if he knew how many petals there were yeah. on the rose. You remember that? Yeah. And nobody knew. Nobody even knew yeah. what that stood for. Didn't know the history of it. Didn't know the history of it. You've got to know the history. It's just so important, but you know what it stands for, the white rose. And it's not just about turning up and being good at cricket. It's about leaving that club in a good place and leaving as a good human being. And I don't think a lot, a lot of players have left on, on bad terms over the years. And um, I'd like to think moving forward that changes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, think you, I think you're spot on, Goffey. I think what I've seen in the past is these Yorkshire legends that kind of we grew up watching and supporting. And they might have played 10, 15, 20 years for the club, but if it wasn't dealt with properly in the last six months or the last year, then all those yep. good memories fall away to the last, the final memories of leaving. And that's what we've, I suppose, pushed hard for, both Gailey, Frog, Rich, myself, is that when players are leaving the club now, it's, it's done slightly differently. And it's an open door. It's not a closed door. Thank you very much. We don't need you anymore. It's almost a, a celebration of the success they've had and what they've Spawn. given to the club so that that door always remains open because there's nothing, there'd be nothing better for me as a captain is for you to come down for a couple of hours or, or for Hoggy or for, for Vaughan to come and, and share your experiences, your knowledge with these young lads who look at you guys as, as the, some of the greatest all-time players the club's ever had. And you want those players to feel welcome and to feel comfortable coming back because it, it has such a valuable impact. Mm. That's, that's what I mean. And, and, you know, it, it, it's about making it a celebration. Unfortunately, nobody likes getting sacked. 
Nobody likes leaving, but there is the way to manage that. This is what, for me, Liverpool Football Club have done it the best out of the lot. How many Liverpool players leave that club and slag it off? How many of them? I can't think of any. They are treated with utmost respect and they can't wait to go back as ex-players. I've been to watch Liverpool on a few occasions, you know, and the legends that are in place at those games, Champions League nights, it's just like fascinating to look around because they are the history of that club. You're going to be the history of that club, Pato, in three, four years' time, whatever it may be, right? Rich is part of that. Yeah, Yeah, but Rich is part of the history. I'm part of the history. Before that, you've got people who I made my debut with, you know what I mean? And it's just a shame we don't all get back together more. I know we've got this old club, but I think there's so many of the old boys, especially in my era, who are not part of it. You just don't see them anymore. And there must be mm. a reason for that. There's got to be a reason why all these boys are not getting back together on a regular basis because we had so much fun together, the players, at such an important time of our lives. I mean, some of the, like I said, you boys saw us part of it. The laughs we had with me and Mags and Gavin yeah. Hamilton and, oh, dear me, I couldn't laugh. Richard Blakey, I laugh my socks off, Silvers. I mean, I talk about this all the time, but best part of my life that when I first played, and some of the laughs we had were just starting this world, and we had such a terrific bond, that team. Yeah. And, and, and it's just a shame we don't all get back together, we all don't get back together more often. It is, it is. Right, Goffey, we're going to move on. Uh, we've got some questions from Twitter, uh, which you might have seen, and uh, the covers off quickfire questions. So we'll move on to some uh, questions from Twitter. This one's from Matthew Metcalf. Goffey's my all-time favourite player. Can you ask him if he actually wanted to leave to join Essex and what spurred him to make him return home? Who's my greatest player? Who's no, greatest he said, player? no, he said he, you're his greatest player. But can you ask him if he actually wanted to leave us to join Essex and what spurred him up to make a comeback home? I've touched on it a little bit. I think um, I just got to a point in my life where my injuries were having a personal effect on me. Um, I wasn't enjoying the environment I was in. And that's what I've just been kind of talking about it. Um, I needed a fresh challenge. I had quite a few offers. And I actually um, went for the the least paid offer and went to Essex because where I saw were potential. Some good lads there. Uh, who I thought could win stuff because that was uh, something I wanted to be part of. And it was a good choice. They were a good small club, totally different for playing for Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, and obviously, um, I was going through personal uh, stuff at the time and I just needed a fresh start, needed to be nearer my kids. Um, and moving down here, I don't regret it one bit. I still live here. I miss Yorkshire, but I still live down south. Love it to bits. And But to go back to Yorkshire to finish my career, like I say, was a no-brainer. Once I knew Colin was interested and he'd, talked to me and talked about the ambition and what he wanted me to do I said absolutely no brainer yeah. jumped at it good Goffey I've got a question from Andy Toot he said Goffey was one of my early heroes when he got called into the England team but then he forgot how to bat he said what would Goffey be like now with DRS he strikes me as a guy who would review every decision <laughs> <laughs> probably right uh, I'm never wrong so yeah I would review every decision I'd be like Brody was in the early days um, <laughs> but, but even Brody though now has totally changed 
you know. Yeah. Having worked with him uh, last winter, he would have been someone that people always said he would always review everything. But the thought that goes into that now and the, the communication is great. And he's totally changed his views and he doesn't review everything. But I tell you what, I would have liked to have been in that era where Swan benefited a lot, didn't it? When mm. if it was hitting, it was out. It didn't matter if it were clipping. So if you reviewed it, I mean, that must have been a great time to bowl that. I mean, can you imagine how many wickets you would get in a season if you could review every single decision? Because how many, we know as bowlers, Rich, you've been a bowler as well. And Pat, how many times does the umpire give you giving you wickets that giving you a not out when you know it's dead? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And at test level back in my day, they had to be hit in middle to be out. Mm. I promise you, Dicky Bird would never give anything unless it was hit in middle or middle and off. He would never <laughs> give anything if it was hit in middle and leg. You'd say it's not straight enough. Honestly, that's what he used to say to you as you when he were umpiring. So if you reviewed all them decisions, he said not out. Oh, cartload. Yeah. Definitely. Right, next one, Goffey. Uh, I think I know the answer to this because I've faced both of you, but who was the quickest bowler, Craig White or yourself? I would say um, Chalky could get up there. Chalky, I would say, probably had the quicker ball, yep. but we always ch- Chalky. He'd break down walking to the shop to get a bag of crisps, wouldn't he? Um, <laughs> he could only bowl quick probably for about four days, four days out of the year. But when he got it right, Chalky, it, it wasn't so much his pace with Chalk. It, it, it always skiddy. felt quicker. It, it just felt skiddy. quicker. It felt quicker than it actually was because he had yeah. that short run up. And I hated facing people like that. Mm. When you used to face Chalky in the indoor school, it was the oh, worst it was awful. nightmare, wasn't it? It was awful. So people, people like that who didn't have a smooth run up, a normal run up, because he didn't know how to ball Chalky, did he? Let's be honest. No, just he just slung it he down. Slung it down as quick as he could. And he's another one, you know, central contracts. If he would have been managed properly, we're oh, talking been about a guy player. there. Oh, He'd have been phenomenal have in, in this era. Unbelievable, Chalky. Um, one yeah. of the most talented players I played with. Like I said, he didn't know how to ball. No. He basically, along with Steve Oldham, he turned himself into somebody who could throw it down at 90-odd miles an hour. And on his day, he bowled as quick as anybody in the world, Chalky. But it, it yeah. wasn't longevity. It was quick ball here and there. When he didn't even know how he did it. That's what makes it innocent. And it used to frustrate me, but he could bowl it that quick now and again. So consistently, obviously, I was quicker than him. But on his day, Chalky used to just was rapid. Yeah. rapid. would agree with that. Right, Goffey, I've got a question from your old mate, Tim Bresnan. Maybe it's an inside one, I don't know this. How close to the ground do planes get when they land? Yeah, it's, it's one of them things that get put to me. It's like a lot of these stories, Goffisms, they call them, don't they? They get put around, but a lot of them aren't actually me. A lot of them actually aren't me. They put my name to them because the personality and who I am, they put it to get a laugh or to get a thing. The, the plane one was Phil Tufnell. 100%. We're in Australia. He was scared to death of flying. He used to kiss the floor, kiss his cross before he got on. He used to hold on to your hand. And I was sat next to him. And he said that, coming into land, into Sydney, never forget it, wind blowing. And it was just a passing pass conversation. But obviously, it got put to me. And it, But it, that one, I've said loads, but that one wasn't me. <laughs> It's funny that because uh, Brizzy has them as well. We call them Brizzyisms. And uh, he's, he's on a power with you, he's Goffy. He's, he talks some crap, does Brez. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, he always has them from being a young kid, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. That, all the England boys who play with him, they've always said to me, uh, they reckon he's the thickest bloke they've ever played with. Which, uh, <laughs> well, they do. All That's them boys, Anderson, Broad, Swanee, they absolutely nail him. And Matt Pryor. Saying, That's saying something because they play, they've played with Lithy as well. So that is saying something. Oh, that is saying something, isn't it? And Rash. <laughs> Rash, yeah. <laughs> Rash. 
<laughs> right, Gaffy, last question before we get on to the quick fire ones. This is a question from me. We had uh, our head of science and medicine, Wayne Morton, on a few weeks ago. And every question we asked him, the answer was Darren Goff. Who's your favourite player? Darren Goff. Who's the funniest in the dressing room? Darren Goff. If you could have any person round to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Darren Goff. Can you just clear up? Is he actually a friend of yours? Or is it just a bloke you worked with 20 years ago? <laughs> Mate, that guy... I actually feel sad. I've not seen him for such a long time. He was perfect for me. He was like a father figure, if I'm going to be honest. Again, he's someone who wasn't afraid to give me a clip around the ear when I needed it, but shoulder to cry on. He was there. When a lot of those injuries early early days, um, without him, I wouldn't have got through them. I remember having a stress fracture I did on my debut. He helped me massively uh, through that and kept my parents in, uh, informed all the time because they didn't have a clue what was going on. I say I'd gone from a football world to a cricket world. They didn't have a clue about cricket. He was absolutely, uh, like I say, a father figure for me. We had some great times together with England uh, touring. So he's a diamond geezer and I miss him. I've not seen him for such a long time. Uh, he's a top man, isn't he? Top man. Top he guy. Is. I'm making a substitution to me six. Oh, you can't. <laughs> Kevin, Peter, Kevin Peterson. I was going to say, he's I, mate, isn't he? I forgot him. He's got to be in there. Yeah, we can joke about it. Right, Goffit, what do you reckon? Talk sport host, me and Pato? Rich, I mean, not me. No, no, listen, you've got a. It's the best way to start, boys. I mean, if you remember, you'll you remember, Rich, when I was playing towards the end of my career, I used to do it inside that van for five live. Yeah. The way you get better is just practicing and practicing and, and just be as natural as you possibly can be. It's not easy. The thing about when you're doing radio, people think it's all scripted and all that stuff. There's no script whatsoever. It's live radio yeah. we do. We, we, we talk about subjects we might talk about, and then I go away and do my own research, and that's it. I mean, it's... That's that's the biggest thing what people think is, but oh yeah, you, it's all scripted. It might be on certain channels on yeah. certain subjects, but definitely the job I do at Talksport, where all off the cuff, we get the odd little read. Like Ed's gone might be scripted because we've got that we've put those together, but the rest of it you have to be like news. I mean, if you consider the news that broke the other day, I wasn't on radio because I'm off this week, but the FA chairman had to mm. resign. That was live during Talksport Drive. So I would have had to adapt to that situation straight away without no research. I just have to react to that situation. Knowing if I say the wrong thing, I get the boot. I'm sacked. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of pressure in um, live radio. It's not it's not easy, but it's so rewarding. It's my earphones, I think, just telling you they've got a few battery problems. I'll tell you what, boys, I, what I missed, I've got one story, is how game, the game's changed when I first started. When I made my debut way back in 1989, that year... Um, I played at Lords. My f- debut went to Lords. We travelled down on the um, on the train. We stayed in London. Night before game, I had six pints because that was the norm back then. Um, you you might have caught it just at the start of your career. I had six pints the night before the game, before my debut. The morning, I had a full breakfast and then went and played in a, a game, first-class cricket match at Lords. And how things have changed. I mean, a full breakfast and six pints uh, before I made my debut. And I, I couldn't take it. I was hungover before I made my debut. Like, I soon sobered up because of the adrenaline and everything. But I was thinking, what is this about? Cricket, professional cricket. And Paul Jarvis that same year did a challenge, which he had to try and drink a 1,000 pints by August. And he'd done it by mid-July. You know how it used to be? It used to be, get scored a thousand runs by August for a batsman. It used to be the target, didn't it? Yeah. For him, it used to be a thousand pints. Thousand pints by August. 
And he did it by mid-July. And that guy was a diamond. He was an unbelievable fast bowler. He played yeah. for England, legend at Yorkshire. He was, he was injured a lot at the end, but what a performer. But mm. he would drink, him and Arnie Seibom, Arnie used to drink his whiskey, and, and Jarve's challenge for the year was to drink a thousand pints. Yeah. It just proves how far the game's come, though. You know, our young, most of our young lads now don't drink. Don't drink at all. So it's the games. The games come on so much. Right, Goffit. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Great to catch up. You've been a big influence in mine and Pato's career. But great to see all the success you're having after your cricket. And you know, it would be great if you could come and spend a couple of days with us at some point. So thanks for coming on, Goffy. Enjoyed it, boys. Well done. Keep up the good work. Absolutely, mate. It's been a pleasure having you. It's been great to catch up. And uh, thanks for everything, as always. Good luck this year. Enjoy pre-season. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Covers Off podcast from Yorkshire County Cricket Club with me, Richard Pyra and Steve Patterson. And remember, guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. If you've missed any episodes, you can catch them up on Spotify and iTunes. Thanks again for joining us. Bye.